I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. It's off the beat and track podcast on the Distraction Pieces Network. Keep me, stew with him. Hello and welcome to Off The Beat and Track Podcast. I'm your host, I'm Stu Whiffin, it's another week, therefore, it's another episode. Today's episode, I sit down with Maya of the Soho Dolls. That's right, Soho Dolls are back and it's a fascinating story as to how they came back and the reason they came back. Uh, the universe has worked in magical ways to uh, to give us another Another hit of the Sorrow Dolls, and uh, yeah, you got to listen to May tell you uh, how it come about because it's bananas and uh, definitely a sign of the times. Um, anyway, before we get on with today's episode, a few thank yous. Uh, I've got a big thanks to Hotel Chocolat. Hotel Chocolat are the official sponsors and have been for two years now. Um, and uh, I'll tell you what, um, Hotel Chocolat's got an amazing venue in Monmouth Street, and um, done a little live show for the Hardcore Listing podcast there last week and uh, definitely going to be looking to do um, a Off the Beaten Track live show there soon. But what Hotel Chocolat do, aside from all the scrummy chocolate, you know all about that, like you've seen that for years, but their alcohol range is unreal. So they've got these creamy ones which are like... There's a, a mint chocolate one, which is my favourite. It's like a salted caramel. Uh, there's like an orange one. And then you've also got like a straight up like um, chocolate vodka um, and uh, like a salted caramel vodka. And then the gins. And then you've got gin cocktails. It's like they've got a whole range of amazing booze. So you can literally go there, get all your chocolate fix. And also, yeah, get some absolutely delicious booze. Um, I'm sure there's other ways that Hotel Chocolat would love me to uh, do something more more targeted and concise and, and slick. But the thing that I need to tell you is their booze is amazing. And uh, and yeah, whenever we have people around the studio to record the podcast, we always have a little tipple. So uh, Hotel Chocolat, official sponsors of the Off The Beat and Track podcast. Um, some... Other huge thanks to Scroobius Pip and everybody at the Distraction Pieces Network. This podcast is very proud to be part of the uh, the Distraction Pieces Network alongside amazing podcasters such as multi-Emmy winning actor, uh, writer, comedian and obviously podcaster Brett Goldstein, Mr. Scroobius Pippikins himself, the podfather, 
the Hardcore Listing podcast is over there. Uh, Sex with Charlie and Nina podcast. Uh, who else we got over there? Um, Say Why to uh, Drugs with um, Susie Gage. Uh, Stop and Search with Jason Reed. There's stacks, stacks and stacks and stacks. Mama, Mama. Go and check it out. It's a real, real big barrage of great entertainment over on the Distraction Pieces Network. I'm very proud to be part of it. Thanks to uh, you lot, obviously you lot, for listening. Uh, so huge thanks to you for supporting this podcast. We're, we're 450 episodes in now. If it's your first time listening, hello, come in, enjoy. You've missed loads. You've missed absolutely loads. You've missed me talking to the Foo Fighters, the Killers, um, blimey, Tommy Lee, um, who else have we had on, let me have a little think, Fatboy Slim, um, who have we had on the indie front, Swade, Idols, Sleaford Mods, Vaccines, oh, bloody hundreds, uh, loads of amazing actors, Maxine Peake, Joe Hartley, Thomas Turgoose, Michael Smiley, um, producers, Butch Vig. I mean, super producer Butch Vig. Um, and yeah, loads of comedians. All your favourite comedians. Acaster, Gamble, um, Jade Adams. Jade Adams, who's uh, having it on Strictly at the moment. Um, best of luck to Jade there. And yeah, um, she's absolutely ace and done a great episode on here. So yeah, you can find out all about that and listen to all of them for free in the back catalogue. Anything else you need to know about the podcast, I've got a Patreon, I'll tell you a little bit about that at the end, but everything else you need to know, offthebeatandtrackpodcast.com. Anyway, let's get back to it. Please enjoy today's episode with Maya of the Soho Dolls. Okay, we are recording. Maya, how are you today? I'm great, thank you. Thanks for having me. Absolute pleasure, mate. Absolute pleasure. And I tell you what, it's a very small world. Um, I was doing some some research ahead of this, and I thought guitarist Matt Lord. I thought I know him. He's got an accent the same as me. He comes from my neck of the woods, and uh, he's a South End boy. And he uh, is. Yes. Yeah, and uh, it was quite weird because I, I, I knew. Am I right in saying that Matt was in the what other band was he in? Uh, oh God, I can't think of the other band that he was in. Yeah, uh, what was he in? What has he not been in? Yeah, yeah, that's a really good point. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, he was he was the kid when we was all really young that was like ridiculous with the guitar, and it was like. Wow, this guy is like really, really good, and uh, and then he just disappeared, I and mean, no one saw him in Southend, and then all of a sudden he was just popping up on uh, in the enemy in these uh, in these different bands. But, yeah, uh, he was um he played bass in in Soho Dolls, mm. um, but yeah, he um he could do guitars. I mean, he could play everything. He we at one point we had him on the double bass, which he'd learned in the space of a month, yeah. and he was playing the double bass through um all sorts of crazy pedals is incredible as well as your regular bass guitar yeah super talented <laughs> right i'll tell you what we're gonna do we're gonna start the playlist so i'm gonna ask you please for track one to tell me the song that you regard as having the greatest ever intro please Maya. that song would have to be grandmaster flash and the furious fives the message it's such an incredible intro um I think it was the first song that really made full use of those um, 
is 808 and the, or those 303 kind of beatboxes. I forget which one it is now, but it's just incredible. And also what, what they what they did with it, the tune, the beat. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm of an age, I'm, I'm well old. So I, I remember when that came out and I would have probably been about 13. And it was like, I mean, it's happened many times since, and I'm sure you've got hundreds of examples as well. Of like when you hear something for the first time, and it feels like it's literally been beamed down from outer space. It was like, yeah. I was like, "What is this? What is it?" Because I'd never heard hip hop, and like, yeah. and 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 you'd get like little sort of snippets of it that, you know, I, I guess um, flashing that got on um, top of the pops. But aside from that, you had no access to to, to see or hear this bizarre music that was coming out of the States that seems so exciting. And to sort of, yeah, to get music like that just and, and to experience like sampling and, and like you say, that, that them sounds that the 808 were throwing at you, it was like, it just felt like it had been beamed from outer space. Yeah. It's, they're, they're still used today. It's incredible, like what, what they achieved so long ago. So when did you first hear it? Was it or did, did you see it and hear it at the same time on top of the pops? I would, I would have heard it. I would have heard it on Radio 1, I think, because uh, I would sit there with my little cassette and, and take the charts uh, on a Sunday yeah. night. And, uh, and yeah, sort of, you know, hearing that message and any, anything like that, it was like, oh, my God, what is this? And all I, I remember being exposed to was, like, literally Flash, Bambata, um, and I guess maybe, like, things like the Rocksteady crew and things like that before, like, you know, the, the, the hip-hop literally just took over the world. But... Oh, it was so exciting. So exciting. Have you seen the um the eight oh eight documentary? I haven't actually. Oh it's on Uh Prime, I think. <clears throat> I had no idea there was one. Thank you for that. Oh, mate, it'll blow your mind. It's absolutely amazing. It literally goes from like, you know, the the pioneers of you know and that early hip hop sound right the way through. And I think if it's not is it on that documentary? Yes, I believe it is, right? Um, it's just a bit of a spoiler alert, but there's there's so much amazing stuff and it goes from Beastie Boys through to everything. But it talks about, and they've got Soul Wax on there, and they basically say that they'd heard about this 808 that Marvin Gaye used, and it was like, right, let's see if we can get it. And they, 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 they find this uh, sort of vintage um, 808, and they get it home and plug it in and they're messing around and some of the presets and all of a sudden fucking sexual healing starts playing and they're like, oh my God, it's like the original one with like Marvin Gaye's sexual healing like the, on the 808 just like Oh playing. my goodness, it was just, that was the one that it was programmed on. <laughs> yeah. That's amazing. It's, honestly, if you like kind of nerdy stuff like that, you <laughs> will love that documentary. It's like a musical Picasso. That's incredible. Mm, mm, it's... Uh, and I, I met someone that did live sound for Marilyn Manson and um, obviously quite, you know, a goth kind of industrial rock sound. But um, apparently when he when he was asked to do their, their tour, I think for like the third album, he decided to underpin all the kick drums with an 808 kick to be triggered. And apparently that made the crowd go crazy because it's got that sub kind of frequency yeah. that is just... I mean, it's still being used today. It's just, still, it's something primal in it. I can't yeah. explain it, but that, but that was quite a good bit of gossip, <laughs> nerdy oh, gossip. that's great. Because you see, like, it, it's really weird, because like, with we, we, Marilyn Manson, you can trace that back 
you know, all the way back to Front 242 and, you know, Nitzareb and lots of them kind of pioneers of the industrial thing. And then to kind of, I mean, I know he's a, a bit of a, a, a strange character to talk about yeah. at the moment. He's had some, some weird shit thrown at him, hasn't he? Just talking about the kick drum. Yeah, let's just talk about the kick drum. Sounds fucking great. Let's <laughs> not talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, look, um, I'm going to ask you for track two, please, Matt, to tell me the first song that you remember hearing that had an emotional impact on you, please. Oh, God, this is going to be hard to talk about. I'm so glad you're not playing the songs because you might there might be a frog appearing in my throat. Okay, so um, it's that song, Bright Eyes from Watership Down. And actually, when you, when you, when I got these questions through, I actually never knew who sang it. So it's, it's apparently by Art Garfunkel, who I know is quite famous. I'm really bad at my music history, by the way. So yeah, that song, it just makes me cry so much. Um, well, it just, you know, that scene with the rabbit spirit. Oh, oh my God, God, it's gonna start. <laughs> <laughs> I remember being in a songwriting session with a lovely Dutch artist, I forgot her name, and um, I began telling her about this song, and I was in a room with like two other songwriters, and I just started crying as I was trying to explain it. <laughs> Don't worry, I'm not going to cry now. <laughs> uh, that that song just does stuff to people. It's so yeah. weird. It's uh, I am... Um, I was really lucky that I got to interview on this podcast Mike Bat, who wrote that, and uh, and obviously Art sung it, right? Um, but uh, but but Mike wrote it, and and he was doing the podcast as you are now, but he was sitting in front of his piano and started playing brass. And I was like, mate, don't, I'll go. Like, it's, <laughs> <laughs> it's, I just start seeing rabbits flying around. It's like. <laughs> <laughs> I, well, I'm like trying really hard to right now. <laughs> so it's, it's quite comforting to know that it's not just me so oh, it's you God. as well <laughs> and the thing is he's a beautiful I mean Art Garfunkel's voice is obviously just stunning and oh it's a beautiful record as well it is I can't actually listen to it though mm. it's just if I okay let's just move on <laughs> <laughs> so oh, I want to I want to ask about you a little bit then so um when you first would have heard that, where where was you? Where was growing up? Yeah, so I grew up in the in the Middle East. I spent the first ten years of my life there because my parents were working there, and my dad is Lebanese. But my mum is originally she hails from Bradford, West Yorkshire. So we would um, spend summers at my granny's in Bradford. So I think um, rather neglectfully, <laughs> the parents probably just whacked on that cartoon Jesus. and just let the kids. <laughs> It's essentially child cruelty that i was traumatized by it <laughs> so yeah that was i definitely watched that in my in my granny's lounge probably prematurely yeah. i mean it's a, yeah it's a pretty dark film from the outset Massively. but i guess i think it caught a lot of people kind of off guard they just thought oh animation yeah. yeah how how was that you know an age and and the, how did you find the differences between what you was experiencing most of the time of the year in, in Lebanon to then going to Bradford? How was that? Um, I actually quite en enjoyed, I'm, I liked both. I liked arriving at, at each place. I do, the thing that sticks out to me the most was um, I love that you could drink water out of the tap, which you don't do in the Middle East. <laughs> and I, the smell of freshly cut grass is so distinctive to the UK. That you don't have the same type of grass in Lebanon. 
Um, let's not go into that. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> um, don't partake in any of that anyway. But um, yeah, I just, and I just remember like we would go to local parks and there'd be ponds with fish in them. So those are kind of the memories that I hold on to. I didn't culturally, but both families were kind of uh, quite similar in that, you know, quite loving, um, close-knit. And yeah, there wasn't really much of a cultural shock, really. Um, yeah, that's tricky. I mean, I think later on, when, as I became a teenager, then I, I could notice the differences. But um, yeah. Was um, growing up, was there, was there music on at home? Was it a musical household? Uh, it was musical, but my parents were really opinionated um, on music. And then obviously, like the first decade being in the Middle East, um, it was quite kind of uh, filtered. So there wasn't much kind of rock or rock and roll. It was more kind of pop and electro, like Depeche Mode, Blondie, Duran Duran, <clears throat> and then the odd German band, like Modern Talking, with those funny hits, um, and Ace of Bass. That Ace of Bass always reminds me of Beirut. Um, Because I think they kind of caught on to it first before it really um, took hold in the UK. Uh, I'm sure they have lots of 808s in their music, actually. (laughs) Do you know what? It's like, it's so easy. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. To kind of dismiss them as just disposable pop, but they've got some cracking melodies. Like yes, some of them songs are so infectious. But I mean, you you, you talk about the sort of the, the filters on it, and you wasn't getting as much, you know, that much sort of rock and roll. But I mean, Duran uh, Duran and Blondie and Depeche Mode. That's that's all yeah. the good stuff right there as well, it, though, isn't it? Yeah, that- True. I think because like, so my mum, she, she, in her early, when she was about 21, she left Yorkshire for the Middle East because she was a nurse. Um, and so I think like the early eighties when all of that heavy rock was happening, like Led Zeppelin and the heavier side of like the Rolling Stones and Black Sabbath, all of that kind of metal we didn't get that. And I didn't get it through my mum because she left the UK really young. Yeah. So I kind of got into the more kind of, I'd say harder rock stuff, like quite late at, 
you know so for me it started with smashing pumpkins um Siamese dream and Nirvana never mind and then I worked my way backwards so I'd missed like the stone roses and I had missed you know um Led Zeppelin and I remember when I discovered like Led Zeppelin um I was asking my mom, like, what the hell? How could you not have told me about this band? She's like, and then, you know, she said quite honestly, she, she had already left the UK yeah. to work abroad. So she, she kind of left, she had, I, kept, I got like the 60s and kind of early 70s stuff from her, but then she had, there's like this big block yeah. <laughs> on what actually happened. So I think with the Middle East, um, Lebanon is, is quite liberal. It's, it's a democracy, but you're still in the Middle East, and there's a, still a strange association with heavy metal. Is considered a bit like maybe satanic. Really? I, I mean, I've never heard people say it, but you know, I think you know, considering where it is geographically, for some reason, it's associated a bit yeah. with that. So yeah, El El Electra, <laughs> Electra reigns. I mean, I was. Like even now, when you get back to Lebanon, they are still playing Soft Cells, Tainted Love. Yeah. Um, they they just they love electronic music. Yeah. Well. But I mean, it, it's completely changing now. But yeah. um, obviously, I've not lived there, so I can't really speak on on their behalf. I've not lived there like as an adult. Yeah. But um, and I also love that Soft Cell. Oh yeah, well that's, that comes up later on, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I also love the fact that like people like uh, are looking at uh, at metal as being dark and sadistic. I mean, Soft Cell and Depeche Mode, that's as dark and sadistic as it gets. Oh, wow. I mean, just sitting there, I won't have none of that metal, but go and sling on Master and Servant. You know, that's fine. We'll just listen to that, you know. Exactly. Sex I know, it's by so weird. Soft Cell. Like, I know. <laughs> it's, they, are, they are like advanced, hardcore, uh, <laughs> you know. It's, it is really strange. I mean, I found it, I found it quite surprising when I think I only like in the last like 10 years, I began to read earlier, like, you know, someone lost their shit because um, the band that was booked for the, e for the evening in this venue in, in, you know, rural Lebanon was a metal band and people just associated it with the devil. I don't know where it comes from. Maybe that's another, <laughs> another podcast. <laughs> but yeah, for me, like metal, it's like literally from, it's there's economic history there. It's yeah. about the metal workers in the Midlands, right? Yeah of absolutely. metal welding absolutely <laughs> all right well let's stay in the formative years and i'm going to ask you please uh for track three to tell me the song that reminds you of your time at school oh yeah let me just i was it was hard to separate all of these out oh yeah this was good yeah wonderwall by oasis where where was school man School was in london um yeah in uh, a tiny tiny school like um catholic day school for girls only 250 girls. And um, yeah, that was like the song, such an incredible song. We would just all just sing it. Um, it's funny because like, yeah, we missed the whole kind of Stone Roses thing. My class, for some reason, we had like a lot of girls who had older brothers. So we just listened, we plugged into what they were listening to. So and they all had MTV, which I didn't have. So it was quite an American diet of like Snoop Dogg, uh, Siamese Dream, uh, Smashing Pumpkins, sorry, Nirvana, Beastie Boys, and then randomly E17, which we all decided no one was allowed to like. <laughs> but then Oasis broke through, <laughs> Oasis and Blur. Um, yeah, and then obviously then like the whole backtracking kind yeah. of happened because I realized I wanted to be a musician. So yeah, school was, was in London. Um, and then I snuck 
me and my friend Sasha, we snuck into Oasis playing at Earl's Court and I thought I was going to die because we got in right at the front. We turned up really late. People had been queuing for days and by the time, and we got there just as they opened the gates and security had just decided to give up. <laughs> so we got in right at the front, like hopped out of a minicab <laughs> and just ran down this long, like, where was it? Damn it. Where did they play? Somewhere massive in London, Hammersmith or I don't know where it was. Anyway, I just, I had bruises on my chest like a few days later because I was that pressed up against the barrier. Wow. Just deafened by Liam Gallagher's incredible voice. Yeah. Yeah. I totally lost my shit when he sang Wonderwall. <laughs> <laughs> you, you, you touched on something there. You said that, um, you know, you decided you wanted to be a musician. Was that always, was that always something like, when you, was was that your only thing you wanted to do at school or was there other career ideas that you had? There were definitely other career ideas. I'm late to every party. I'm late to everything. Um, I kind of dropped the arts as quickly as I could um, for GCSE because I found them harder than, <clears throat> I found music hard, I found art hard and I found English lit literature hard. So I dropped them as soon as I could and kind of did sciences stuff that had clear kind of answers that you couldn't argue with. Um, yeah, I would say it was, I'm not sure. I mean, I did want to go to university. I had this, when I was young, I wanted to be like a biologist. And then when I studied economics at A-level, I thought, oh, maybe I could like, you know, do something in the corporate world. But it was, um, even though I studied economics at uni, I had already started, um, I kind of got a serious band together and yeah. was the girl studying economics that actually wanted to be a singer. Um, and then when I finished uni, I, I decided not to take up a serious job. So I just was, you know, doing part-time kind of office temp work in, until I got a proper deal. Yeah. So, yeah. I changed my mind a lot, if I'm really honest. <laughs> was, you, was you a confident teenager? <clears throat> um, I think I was secretly confident, but... I don't know. That's a difficult question. I think I, I, I developed some confidence. I start, I joined a band when I was about 16, 17, like before there was like proper internet, you just have to look in like loot to the paper, which you probably remember. And I joined a band, like I would, they were like these guys in the, I'd say early thirties. They were from Welling Garden City and there was this rehearsal space in Southgate that was miles away from where I lived. So I'd go there every weekend. So I think that began to give me confidence because they thought I was really cool. Yeah. And yeah, it was amazing to just play with like four men in a room. They were holding auditions and for some reason like, they got it. And then I began to write songs with them. So yeah, I kind of got my confidence like that, but I wasn't confident like from age 10 to 16, I'd say. Yeah. And then kind of, kind of grew into a bit of it. I'm going to ask you to tell me for track four the first song you remember buying from a record store, please. So, yeah, we got a CD player <laughs> at some point in the 90s. And I'm pretty sure that I got that Rave 92 CD for Christmas. Mm. And it's still such an incredible compilation. Um, I don't think I ever bought a single because I was like you. I was always taping stuff off the radio. Yeah. 
And my dad actually was in the business of selling electronics. He 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 was a salesman for Sharp Electronics. So right. my house was full of tape players. So amazing. <laughs> from the age of like eight, I was recording stuff off the radio, and then I'd have another tape player. Sorry, I'm digressing. And I would sing along on on you know sing along to a track that a tape that was playing, and then record my voice from another tape player, and then it was going on. And sometimes I'd have four tape players. So anyway, cassette players. So. Uh, back to Rave 92. Um, yeah, so many good songs. There was like a Prodigy track on there. I think it was Fire. But I think the Utah Saints remix of Kate Bush's It's Something Good is it's just incredible. Um, yeah. In fact, I might listen to that whole compilation this weekend. So I, I, I have that on CD. <laughs> Did you? Like, I still have, yeah. And uh, it's literally, it was a, a real kind of great, it, that that compilation was was the time when, for me, I think it was the, the the first rumblings of like electronic music bands like the Utah Saints and the Prodigy. Because I've I've um I've run a a, a club for for over thirty years, like the, an alternative club, and it was them bands and them early tracks on the Prodigy um, and Utah Saints um, and Shaman and bands like that that. Yeah. <laughs> that were then getting played in guitar clubs, and oh, up really? until then, a lot, you know, a lot of electronic music wasn't, and you know, it was quite tribal. That you know, if you want to listen to that, you go to the club in town that plays dance music. You know, this is we play rock music, and I think that was the the the, the sweet spot of where it started to cross over. I think. Wow. Um, uh, like, do you know what I'm saying? Because I think no, it's so interesting to me because you know, obviously, I'm a kind of yeah, I didn't that there were separate clubs for that but it's uh, it's fascinating to, to hear that i mean also not surprised because i think prodigy is quite quite a punk band i think they're quite sex pistolsy in many hugely ways. hugely and i think but the early stuff you know we wasn't seeing keith flint as keith flint that we got to know as this you know incredible front man you yeah. know what we were seeing was liam hallett behind his synth with three guys just alternating doing some dancing oh shout out to alternate as well i think they were on there um <laughs> oh they were good <laughs> but um but then what we saw was th- these bands getting taken more seriously and and not be you know being these kind of, sort of disposable dance acts which there was quite a lot of those as well in, in in that period but you know the cream rises to the top and then you see bands like the prodigy then go from playing raves in in 1991 in fields to headlining like Donington and yeah. like you know they took the rave to the rock and and they paved the way and you see Chemical Brothers headlining yeah. huge you know pro- historically guitar festivals and now being headlined by Orbital and the Prodigy and the Chemical Brothers and yeah. you know it's uh, an underworld it was like and and it all kind of I think that the, the real rumblings of that scene becoming like moving over and it all kind of fusing together which was an amazing time was definitely there and they're all on that compilation oh, it is such a good compilation <laughs> yeah. i get really excited about scenes like that i'll, I'll get like <laughs> it really kind of just fires me up when I'm I just go, jealous, <laughs> so can you give me the name like were there any clubs in london which clubs would have been like the clubs that played shaman and prodigy and utah saints like so um well my club's in essex my club's called the pink toothbrush and uh and so that's that's my little place so we was doing that out in essex um but our club used to be called Crocs. So our club was the 
big new romantic club outside of London. So Depeche Mobra, our resident band, mm-hmm. and uh, Culture Club, like their uh, Royals oh. from Essex, they played their first show at, at my club. And yeah, so that was what was, but I think around that sort of early 90s in London, I would say there was, we used to go to this venue called the Gas Club um, off of Leicester Square and there used to be a night there called Automatic and the warm-up DJ was this this lad uh, called Errol Olken that, uh, no oh, one, that no one had heard of and he was just, <laughs> he was just the warm-up guy playing suede records and stuff like that and uh, yeah. I think he done all right for himself on that DJ thing. Yes, he did. Have you, what was his club like that he had on Monday? Yeah, that's the one. Yeah. yeah like um, and again, I mean, the, look at what <laughs> Errol was doing there in, in regards to fusing electronic music with indie music. You know, that it was a, a foreigner. That was the sweet spot of all of these bands that were getting, you know, these these Kitsune remixes or these Ed Banger oh, remixes. And, you know, that was that. <laughs> that sort of fusing of, of, of scenes there as well. I'd had no idea that Errol Alkin went that far back. Yeah, that would have been 91. Wow. Uh, um, that we'd go and watch him and he was a warm-up guy. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he probably wouldn't want you to think he's that old. Um, <laughs> me neither. <laughs> About me, obviously. <laughs> right, so... We've we've uh, we've been speaking about clubs. So um, tell me about the song that soundtracked your years clubbing. Okay, so I was never a clubber. So, um, what never what is this? Honestly, man, like every single musician, I, I've done <laughs> four hundred and fifty of these shows. Right, every musician starts that question. Sorry, starts their answer by going, "Yeah, I mean, I wasn't really a clubber," and like every single musician says it. It's crazy. <laughs> Because in my mind, like people who are clubbers or go clubbing were ones that would, you know, go and stay out all night and just be kind of bopping and dancing. Whereas for me, going out was more to kind of socialize um, and actually get deafened and listen to music. Um, But not, I wasn't really into the dancing and the raving. Mm. Um, uh, I had friends that were, but... um, But this this one is a special one um, about my friend Annabelle. So she had much older brothers, actually. Um, and they would sneak us into this um, club in London called L'Equipe Anglaise. Like it was off Oxford Street. And we were like totally underage. So I got all of my, all of my clubbing days were done by the time I was 16. <laughs> it was all about. <laughs> you like peaked at 14. <laughs> I totally peaked. I remember arguing with my mom. She would hate when, you know. We, there'd always be curfews and like she'd speak to Annabelle's like mom and make sure we were home at midnight and there was always like haggling and I remember that when I did turn 18 I was like oh for, you know fuck's sake mom you should have really let me club because now I'm so over it because she kept saying when you're 18 you can do it but when I was 18 I was kind of over it anyway so her brothers would, would like kind of you know we'd go in pretending to be their girlfriends sort of thing just and they would just go off and talk to whoever they wanted to talk to but um Annabelle and I would just kind of we wouldn't even hit the dance floor we would just go straight onto an, a monitor or I don't know a podium and just get up there for Warren G's regulate and we thought we were so cool we would just wear like shirts tucked into suede a-line skirts and our platform heels from Dulcies or Shelley's and just we just shout thought- out Dulcies <laughs> We just thought we owned the place only when that song played. I don't know why. Hit the east side on the LVC. 
Oh, it's <laughs> such a tune. It's such a tune. It is so good. It is. I'm glad you think so. Yeah. It is so wonderful. good. And it still sounds incredible. Yeah. It's um it's the Michael McDonald sample, isn't it? Like um, don't know uh, that. Regulate. <laughs> yeah, isn't it? That's uh I keep forgetting, not in love anymore. Yes, yeah, Michael McDonald, yeah. Like oh my oh. god, I need to look that up. That's going in, in my watch list. Yeah, Michael name? Michael McDonald. So he uh he's got right. No this is gonna sound really mental, right? It's it's, <laughs> it's pure yacht rock this, right? But uh like Michael McDonald stuff. But I've never heard a man sound like he's got a beard as much as Michael <laughs> McDonald does when he sings. Honestly, when you hear it, you'll get it. He just sounds like he's got a, he's got an amazing beard, but he sounds like he's got a beard. He sounds like he's literally singing from a beard. It makes no okay. sense to most people, but if you listen to Michael McDonald, I think my point is made. Okay, but, I will. Uh, he's got loads of good songs, Michael McDonald. He was in um he was in a band called the Doobie Brothers as well. Um and uh yeah, you're, if you if you have a little um, Spotify nose at Michael McDonald, you'll recognise loads of songs. I will. I'm sure. I'm sure I will. I do recognise stuff. I just I just don't bother to remember names and yeah, yeah. you know. <laughs> right. Well, look. Let's take you home for track six. A favourite song from an artist from your home county, please. Where's home? Okay, so this was quite hard. So I've moved to Gloucestershire. Lovely. Having spent most of my life in, in London and I couldn't find anyone from here. Um, I found FKA Twigs, who I really, really like. Oh, amazing. Um, she's apparently from Cheltenham. Really? But, uh, yeah. Yes. So I'm friends with a girl here that went to um, the, the dance school that she went to. Um, and they were wow. the two. Like, yeah. So she's a, she's a dancer. But as well as a singer so yeah. she was doing I think she went to like one of the top dance schools around here um and I do really like her stuff but um and then obviously London is just sounds a bit too kind of wide and stuck up and then I was being really ir- irritated that Depeche Mode were not from West London <laughs> oh we've got them we've got them they're Essex you're not having them <laughs> so just, but then I remembered that someone told me once that soft cells from Bradford so I actually looked it up but they're not. But they did form in West Yorkshire at Leeds Polytechnic. But my whole life, I was, most of my life, I thought, well, no, maybe half. <laughs> I honestly thought Mark Almond was a Bradfordian. So, yeah, um, them. <laughs> oh, what song are you going for? Obviously, Tainted Love. Oh. It's still one of the, I mean, it's just incredible. And mm. even when I discovered that that also was a cover, the original performance is great still. Yeah. But the soft cell version, it's just, they kind of, that. I think that was like probably another track that probably sounded like it was from outer space. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. 
Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. It's when it came. 100%. So fresh. He, he, like, I was fascinated by, by Mark Almond. I just couldn't get my head around what was going on. Like, you know, I'd, I'd never seen performance like it. And his voice, to, the, to this day, like... Oh, his voice absolutely destroys me. Like, I think, did you, it's on YouTube if you get a chance. One of my favourite things to do, if I've had, like, a bit of a drink and uh, and I'm feeling, like, a little bit, like, merry, it's like, right, I'm going to put on massive epic performances of my favourite bands on YouTube. <laughs> and there's their, la- their last ever gig that they'd done a couple of years ago at the O2 Soft Cell, the performance of Say Hello, Wave Goodbye, is absolutely heart-wrenchingly beautiful. Oh my god, I'm gonna check that out. Oh. Thank you. I've got like, I've got my whole weekend watch list sorted. For <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's such a great song. And like, I know we we ain't meant to be talking about Marilyn Manson, but that cover that he done was also really, really good. Like, yes, I do. I love that cover actually. Mm, really I've worked good. with them with that producer Tim Scold. Oh we've really? Got about, we've got four. Oh yeah, we've got four unwritten. We've got four unreleased tracks that we've written together. But um, they're just at that stage where I can't quite sign off on the, on the lyrics that I've written. So yeah, Tim Scold produced um, Marilyn Manson's Tainted Love. And I think it's com- utter genius how instead of doing the, oh, they went, oh, whoa, whoa, it's completely downplayed yeah. um, it, and it just works. But yeah, Tim Scold brought that whole, uh, that whole kind of industrial kind of, um, maybe slightly more European sound, I'd say, yeah. to Marilyn. He did the Golden Age of Grotesque record. Yeah. Um, he's, he's, he's an incredible producer and programmer. Yeah, yeah I know the download on that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, met him in LA, actually, because we wanted him to do the, the, the second Soho Dolls album, which we never ended up doing because um, life happened. But um, yeah, he's, he's an incredible, super talented producer. Yeah, and he did that version, that other version of um, right. Tainted Love, which I adore. So and it, yeah, and Rihanna did one, which isn't too bad because Rihanna can't really do anything wrong ever. But the, like, yeah, <laughs> I'm gonna stop talking. Did well. Let, let's talk Soho Dolls. What's going on? Okay, so um, yeah, well, we had you know disbanded and stuff, and I was trying to get another project of mine off the ground, and then lockdown happened, and. Uh, a whole new generation discovered the first Soho Dolls album, Ribbed Music for the Numb Generation. Um, and I saw like on TikTok that Stripper was kind of bubbling under for a bit. There was um, in particular one post that I've got saved on my phone of this girl saying um, about Stripper, um, she's like 17 from Texas or something, saying, I can't believe that a band from 2006 wrote a song about strippers that is in no way misogynistic <laughs> so i was like oh, okay good someone gets it <laughs> eventually you know um and then suddenly like bang bang which was never a single it just began to kind of like people were just kind of doing i don't know whatever they do on tiktok videos of themselves you know people crying in the shower of you know filming themselves to my song or people just miming to the song that opening line like which is about not getting on with your family and not teachers and school or typical teenage angst stuff, basically. And then it became part of like this Karen, anti-Karen kind of challenge. So 
a lot of people in the UK don't know what a Karen is. Do you? I do, yeah. Yeah, like an entitled woman. Yeah. Um, so people were kind of doing, it became basically Bang Bang became a TikTok challenge song, completely user-generated, nothing to do with us. Um, and I remember being really excited that we it translated into about 400,000 Spotify listeners. And then at some point we were like well over 2 million um, real-time Spotify listeners, which is insane. Like, you, you know... I just, I wouldn't even, I don't know how much you'd pay to get that much. Yeah. Um, how exciting, just seeing that just exciting. unfolding. It is. And then the old record label uh, came came a knocking saying, shall we do it again? So we're like, yeah, why not? <laughs> Love it. So yeah, we're, we're back literally by popular demand. So, and there's, and we're doing a new album and the, the single, there's a brand new single out, um, Letter to My Ex, and there'll be a single, uh, out every six weeks until we wrap it all up in in the new album, which is already titled. But I'm not going to say what it is. But yeah, I'm super, I'm happy. It's literally given me a whole uh, new lease of life. Oh, so. that's incredible! What an amazing story! It's great. And like, it's really literally, great. you are back by popular demand, like <laughs> not orchestrated by yourself. This thing has just happened, and it's just created something really special. That's so cool. It is. I'm. I'm so. I'm so unbelievably grateful to the universe for it because I fucking needed it. <laughs> I'm oh, on, wonderful! You know, it's amazing. And also, like, I was doing this other project that you know had to kind of stop called New Pharaohs um, because of like the pandemic and stuff. But and it was quite a grown-up kind of indie kind of rock sound. But my heart is very much kind of like you know, all about electro and new wave. And that's kind of Soho Dolls and a bit of burlesque. So it's kind of, I'm, I'm kind of, I feel like I'm doing what I'm, what I'm good at and what I enjoy again. So Fantastic. <laughs> you got one more song and, uh, and it's your opportunity to be a, a, a tastemaker or for the TikTok generation influencer, I believe it's called now. Um, tell me please, uh, Maya, a song that you think many people may not know that you would like them to hear. Okay, well, um, this song is really kind of like, the reason why I chose this song is because it's more of like a songwriting tip that, um, and it's more for like the songwriters out there. There is so much like good music that's, you know, languishing on kind of dusty 12 inch finals and stuff. Um, and a good idea is a good idea, no matter if it was, had in the 50s and released right now or whatever so yeah um i think this song will surprise people um so that's why i chose i chose it and what is it it's the chi lights are you my woman oh it's a beauty that is <laughs> how did you discover that okay <laughs> i had a feeling i think i was at a dinner party um with a bunch of my music friends and got to that point where you're fighting over the laptop <laughs> so you can play what you want to play on, on YouTube, you know, after you've had a few drinks. Yeah. Someone played that and I just remember saying, no way, for about <laughs> 20 minutes. What, just at the <laughs> magic of it? Well, yeah, I couldn't believe that it was, A, that, it that you know, the version that we know that Jay-Z has done is a sample. Mm -hmm. And secondly, that it's, that it probably didn't like make waves when it first came out. Mm -hmm. um, and then also like it shows you the genius of Jay-Z, how you can build a whole new incredible song yeah. around it. And it, yeah, 
it's just yeah it's like i said it's a, it's a songwriting kind of um tip yeah. um yeah <laughs> i love stories like that well, what we do, uh, Mary, is we put together a Spotify playlist uh, of all of the tracks that you've submitted today. Uh, and obviously, we put some Soho Dolls on there as well, so people can go and explore um, your music, um, as well as all the songs that we've spoken about today. So, what can we expect? What's the next thing that's going to, um, by the time this comes out, if people want to go and find out and, uh, and keep up to speed uh, with Soho Dolls, firstly whereabouts can they do that and secondly what is what is the uh the immediate stuff that's going to be dropping okay well where do you mean like social media yeah well <clears throat> spotify we are totally killing it so i would go there <laughs> <laughs> and tiktok we are quite i think we're yeah we're we're doing quite well on tiktok because that that's how generation z yeah. generation z um i kind of you know they, they caused the whole bang, bang thing. So yeah, TikTok, uh, Soho Dolls Official, Spotify, Soho Dolls, and Instagram, uh, Soho Dolls. Um, and then the YouTube channel is quite is quite big. Um, would go there. And a Letter to My Ex would have come out on the 23rd of September. And there'll be another single coming out end of October and another one in November. So yeah, we are totally active right now. Wonderful. They're gonna be live dates? I hope so. So um, Matt's based in the States now. <laughs> right. Okay. I did a stand in for him at, um, in the video. So, yeah, we need to be able to afford his plane ticket. <laughs> <laughs> but, no, yeah, absolutely. Um, we want to do live shows. And I got back in touch with my awesome agent, live agent, I mean. So, yeah. Wonderful. Wonderful. Mary, it's been lovely talking records with you. And, oh, thank uh, you. I was so nervous. I'm so really, yeah, really nervous. <laughs> you smashed it, mate. Thank you so much. This is great. Oh, it's um, been an absolute pleasure. I'm going to press stop. Don't go anywhere. Thanks, Mary. Uh, there you go, people. Mayor of the Soho Dolls. What great chat. How amazing is that? How the internet works now. That something like I mean, oh, you, you know that I always talk about how. Uh, TikTok is influencing the industry and, and, and how that impacts on songwriting and stuff. But to hear somebody who had kind of wound the band up years ago and just through TikTok and, and, and their songs literally getting hammered on, on Spotify and, 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 and getting these, these huge impressions to the point where it's like, well, let's do it again. Like, it's super exciting. And, and I love hearing little stories like that when, you know, you think, no, that's it. And then all of a sudden, bang, we're back. And uh, and the demand is there. We've, and a completely new audience. That's the thing. Completely new audience, which is amazing. Um, so, yeah, thanks ever so much for listening. I mentioned at the beginning, I'll just give a little shout-out to the Patreons. Um, I do live shows online uh, where you come along. And each episode, we pick one of the questions. And, and you can all pop up on Zoom and, uh, and all chat about the songs that matter to you. Uh, in regards to that question uh, there'll be another one on October the 4th I think this episode will be out by then if not there'll be another one in the first week of November um, but what you also get is hundreds of radio shows um, playlists you can watch all of the episodes ad free uh, over on there I put all the videos to all these chats so if you like watching your podcasts you can do that on my Patreon um, and yeah but essentially it's only a, it's only um, a dollar a month so uh, yeah that's that's pretty, I know times are tough, but is that affordable? 
uh, works out about 20p a week. Um, but yeah, essentially you're you're supporting the pod and any help would be amazing. I'm going to wrap this up because I feel like I'm going to do a massive cough in a minute and I don't need to be doing that, Dan. The microphone. I'm back next week. In the meantime, go check out that back catalogue. Everything else you need to know off the beat and track podcast.com. Be nice to each other. I'll see you next time. Love you. Bye-bye.